consider the message of the book of Joel this afternoon and read Joel chapter 1. The text that I selected for the sermon is verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, and I think that text captures the message of Joel for the most part, but I will also be referring to many other passages in the book as we go through the sermon. Joel chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath made, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste, and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests The Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. For the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye vine dressers. For the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field, are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before your eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid waste. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up. 
and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Verses 14 and 15. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Joel was the son of Pethuel, and he lived and labored in the southern kingdom of Judah, and therefore he wrote this book to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. But Joel does not tell us who was the king when he wrote this, and therefore we cannot be sure 100% when he lived. When we study the book and compare it to the history of the kingdom of Judah, it becomes clear that most likely he lived and labored in the middle part of the kingdom of Judah, and therefore was probably one of the earliest of all of the minor prophets, the writing prophets. He lived in days when Judah was still struggling against some of their ancient adversaries, like the Philistines. That's one thing that signifies that. And yet, it seems that there was a rising threat of an invasion from Assyria on the horizon, but it was still in the future. Those things seem to point to the middle period of the kingdom of Judah, and therefore Joel was one of the earliest of the prophets, the minor prophets. Last time we looked at Hosea and the history of the northern kingdom, and you will recall that the northern kingdom, after the division, fell away from Jehovah and never returned. The history of the southern kingdom was different. It went through a cycle of apostasy and reformation, apostasy and reformation. It was not just a downhill fall, but there were times of improvement and decline. Joel lived in the middle period. Therefore, he lived in a time after reformation and before the next series of apostasy and reformation. He lived in days of earthly prosperity in both the southern and northern kingdom. There was plenty of food and drink in the days before the calamity hit. There were days of riches and wealth and enjoyment of the things of this world. But it was also a time of spiritual decline. And it was leading up to the next cycle of apostasy and reformation. But it was not going to be the final apostasy that would lead to the end of the kingdom and the captivity in Babylon. Rather, it was part of that middle period, and therefore there was still hope for reformation, for restoration. If the people would awake from their spiritual slumber, if they would weep at their sins, 
and howl and lament over the awful calamity that had devastated their fields and their vineyards and orchards if they would renew their devotion to the Lord. We have lived in similar days as the prophet Joel. All of us have lived in times of earthly prosperity, times when there has been an abundance of food and drink. We have not gone through a great depression like some of our ancestors or a great war like some of them. We have lived in times of peace and prosperity. But there have also been great calamities, even in the very recent history of the world. There is also great apostasy all around us in the Christian church world. We talked about that too last time. But although we are not an apostate church, we too can become spiritually sleepy. And therefore, the message of Joel is very much for us as well. I call your attention to the text under the theme, A Grievous Calamity Heralding the Day of the Lord. Let's notice, first of all, Joel's summons in light of the calamity. Secondly, Joel's warning of more dreadful things to come. And finally, Joel's prophecy of comfort for God's people. In our text, Joel issues a summons, a very urgent summons. Verse 14, he says, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Obviously, Joel is very urgent and very passionate as he utters this summons to gather together and to cry out to the Lord their God. What had happened to bring about this summons to a solemn assembly, a time of fasting and prayer and weeping and repentance? Well, there had just been a grievous calamity, a calamity that was so devastating that in the first verses of the chapter, Joel speaks to the old men and asks them if they have ever seen anything like this in all their life. And he also tells them to pass this memory down to the next generation and the next and the next generation because something had happened of such a great magnitude that it was to be remembered through all generations. The great calamity that had just happened was a terrible plague of locusts and perhaps also some other insects. Some people believe that in chapter 1, verse 4, Joel, in the original Hebrew, is actually describing four different kinds of locusts. That may be, or as the King James has it, the palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar. There has been an invasion of armies of insects into the land of Judah. And these insects coming in wave after wave over several years' time have utterly devoured everything living, all of the plants, the grass, the leaves, the fruits, the grain in the field, so that these armies had laid waste the fields of Israel, had destroyed their key crops, the barley and the wheat from which they made their bread, and the key fruits of the land from which 
They cooked the oil, the wine, the grapes were eaten, the olives were eaten, the figs, the pomegranates, the apples. All of these fruits and vegetables and grains were utterly devastated by this calamity of locusts. Even the cattle were groaning in the fields because they had no pasture. And the result of this was a terrible famine. The famine, the shortage of food, was terrible. The people in their individual families and homes did not have the prosperity and plenty they once had. They no longer were able to fill their tables with all the foods and drinks that they formerly enjoyed. The meats and the breads and the wine and the oil, it was cut off. It was perished. They were impoverished, desperate, and starving. But the worst of it, as Joel has it, was that they were not even able to worship God anymore like before. The way they worshipped God in those days was that they brought the meat offerings and the drink offerings to the temple. They would harvest the first fruits of the land. They would bring their sheaves of wheat or barley And they would bring their bottles of wine to the temple and they would pour out that wine to the Lord. And they would wave those sheaves to the Lord. And that's how they would worship. That's how they would give thanks to God and praise him for the harvest. But they could not even do that. So Joel cries out to the priests that they ought to lament and mourn and howl for this terrible calamity. But what is the meaning of all this? The children of Judah had to be given an explanation, and so God raised up the prophet Joel, the son of Pethuel, in the land of Judah, and sent him to the Jews to preach to them the meaning of this plague. Joel made clear to the children of Judah that this was not by chance, this was not an accident. This was not a mere natural occurrence, but the Almighty God himself, Jehovah, their God, had sent this plague of locusts and insects upon them. He had sent this destruction into the land as a chastisement for their sins to wake them up from their spiritual slumber and to lead them to a humble repentance and returning to the Lord their God. Notice in verse 5, Joel, very early on in the book, cries out, Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. There had been days of prosperity when the wine flowed freely. They harvested the grapes in plenty. They crushed them, fermented them, made their delicious wine, and they were able to drink that wine at every meal if they wanted. And a result of that was that many people became drunkards. They became men and women who were enslaved to that wine and strong drink. They lived for it. They reveled in it. They gloried in it. They enjoyed the high life, drinking, getting drunk, enjoying parties and foolish jesting, and this was their way of life. They had become spiritually weak. They were intoxicated with the god of wine. But now the locusts have come and devoured the grapes, and there is no more wine. There is no more drinking. 
It has been cut off from their mouths. And Joel points out to them, this is a chastisement from the Lord. The Lord sometimes chastens us with something that fits the sin that we're committing. In this case, the sin was obviously drunkenness and revelry and worldliness. And so the Lord cut off the supply of wine from them to show them that there was a direct connection to their sin and the chastisement. And so now Joel stands up and cries out, Awake, ye drunkards! Weep over your sin of drunkenness. Be ashamed of yourselves, ye husbandmen, ye vine dressers. Turn from your love affair with the God of wine and realize your sinfulness and turn back to the Lord your God and love him and serve him. Then he goes on in our text, verse 14. He says, Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. There had been times of prosperity when they were not only able to drink the free-flowing wine, but they were also able to eat to their heart's content. There was always bread on the table. There was always meat and an abundance of fruits and vegetables and good things so that they were always able to satisfy their stomach's desire to the full. And in that time of prosperity, there was no need for fasting. There was certainly no interest in fasting, because when we are able to fulfill the desires of our bellies to the full, it is very hard for us to deny those desires. The people, therefore, became spiritually sleepy, In these times of prosperity, when they're eating and drinking and making merry, that deadened their spiritual vitality. They continued to go through the motions. This was not a time of deep apostasy. They were going through the motions. They were bringing their meat and drink offerings to the temple. They were offering their prayers and their songs. Outwardly, they were going through the motions of religion. But inwardly, they were becoming corrupt. They were becoming spiritually dead. They were no longer having any real sorrow over their sins. There was very little heartfelt repentance. There was very little vibrant faith. Very little zeal for the Lord of hosts. And so now that the Lord has sent the locusts and taken away that food, taken away those grapes and those vegetables and fruits, and left their tables bare, and left their stomachs hungry. Now, Joel stands up and says, Sanctify a fast. Now, when you're hungry, is a time to fast. This is a time to abstain from food for a time, for a day, or for a period of time, to deny yourselves the desires of your belly that you have always satisfied, and to remember that your true hunger must always be for the Lord. The Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders together. Gather the inhabitants together. Come into the house of the Lord and cry out to him for mercy in the midst of this calamity. Cry out for forgiveness. In chapter 2, Joel continues the theme 
Notice in verses 12 through 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. No more mere outward motions. Rend your heart. Rend your heart and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Joel's interpretation of the calamity to the people of God in those days applies to the people of God in all ages of history. What was true then is also true now, and it's always true, that when God sends calamities as a chastisement for our sins, which he sometimes does, he is calling us to awaken from our spiritual slumber and sleepiness. Sometimes God sends calamities upon the whole world so that the very same calamity falls on the wicked and the righteous. That happened in the land of Egypt when some of the plagues fell on Egypt and Israel, and it's happening today as well. God sends calamities on the wicked as a punishment in his wrath against them for their stubborn unbelief. But he sends them upon the elect as a chastisement to wake us up, to humble us, to bring us back to a true repentance. God is the sovereign one who sends calamities. Who sent the calamity of the COVID-19 pandemic? Who unleashed that horde of coronaviruses into the world a few years ago? So that millions and billions of tiny, tiny invisible creatures flooded the whole world, affecting the economic systems of all the nations of the world, bringing about all kinds of negative effects, which we can't even list here, but which included in some places more than others, a shortage of food, famine, and different kinds of medical, psychological, and physical problems. Who caused that pandemic? Who unleashed those viruses? The Lord did that. Was it a human who unleashed those viruses? Was it due to human activity? Maybe it was, no doubt. There may have been human involvement in that. But we have to remember that the Lord Almighty is the one who sends calamities upon this world. And he also governs over the ungodly acts of men, sometimes to unleash a calamity upon the whole world, including a pandemic that was in some ways unprecedented in the history of the world, in some ways. Who brought about the calamity in the churches these past few years? When those who consider themselves brothers and sisters in Christ ended up biting and devouring each other like a horde of locusts, eating and gnawing on leaves and fruits and grain until there is no more fruitfulness in the church. Who unleashed that calamity? Was it human beings who did that? Sure it was. 
There was human involvement in that as well. But God Almighty, who is sovereign over all things, He sent that upon the churches. And not just the controversies in our churches, but also in other denominations throughout the Christian world, there have been controversy after controversy, crisis after crisis throughout the Christian world in the past several years. God is chastening his church. Joel proclaims to us that God Almighty is sovereign over all these calamities and troubles. He proclaims to us that God is calling out to us to wake up. We have been prosperous. For many decades, we have hoarded up our wealth and our money, and we have enjoyed the things of this world. And has it not made us spiritually sleepy at times, if not often? That we become focused on the things of this world. We long to fulfill worldly dreams and hopes And we're discontent if we cannot have a certain standard of riches and enjoyment of life. God is saying, wake up, my people. Awake, ye drunkards. Put away your wine. Put away your food. I am your God. I am your Lord. Serve me. Love me. Weep over your sin. Rend your heart, not just your garments. He wants us to come to church. He wants us to wear our church clothes. He wants us to worship and sing and pray. But above all, he wants our hearts. He wants us to repent of our sin, to turn to him in true faith, ardent love, and real sorrow over our sins. And so Joel cries out to us in the 21st century, just as he did in his own day, sanctify a fast, Have we ever fasted? Have we ever denied ourselves the pleasure that our bellies desire of eating and drinking? We might consider that these are days for fasting and prayer. But Joel had even more to say to Judah than that. God not only raised up Joel to interpret that calamity, and call them to repentance. God also raised up Joel to show that this great calamity was just a harbinger, just a a herald and a sign of more dreadful things yet to come. And so we find in our text in verse 15, Joel cries out, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Joel is pointing out in this that the grievous catastrophe of the locust invasion was God's way of waking up his people to see there are worse judgments that are going to befall you if you continue stubbornly in your sinful way. And therefore, it stands as a warning to the church also today, as it was in those days. Joel expounds on this theme, especially in chapter 2. Notice that in chapter 2, verse 1, he continues, Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Notice, sound an alarm. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, 
for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. What is he talking about here? He's saying that this plague of locusts is foreshadowing the great and dreadful day of the Lord. A day of darkness and gloominess and thick darkness. But what will that day be? Notice in verse 6, he speaks of a people. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march everyone on his own uh, on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. He's talking about an invasion. Just as the locusts had invaded the land and had infested the houses and the barns and the fields and the orchards, He's talking now about a human army that is going to come, that is going to invade, climb up over the walls of their cities, run along the walls, come into their houses. Verse 10, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Joel does not mention the name of this army. But the children of Jerusalem, who first read this prophecy, would have had no doubt about who he was talking about. They knew he was talking about what he calls the northern army the army that would invade from the north, the army that would come from the east, the rising power of Assyria, the empire and picture of Antichrist that was rising in the east in those days. Joel was warning the children of Israel that this locust invasion is a warning to you. Wake up! Repent of your sins. Turn to the Lord your God. Who knows, he says. Who knows, verse 14, if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him. But this is the day of repentance. Turn to your God. This also applies to us today. As we said, what was true in the days of Joel is true throughout all of history. When God sends calamities, they are harbingers and warnings 
of more dreadful things to come. When God sends upon us a worldwide outbreak of virus, however that may have come about, that's a warning to us. That's a warning to the whole world. And that's a warning to those who are spiritually asleep. Those who are asleep in their wine. Those who are asleep in their partying and revelry. Those who are loving the things of this world more than the Lord. It's a sign. Wake up. Pay attention to these things. The Lord Jesus Christ prophesies in Matthew 24 about the signs of his coming and of the end of the world. And in that chapter, the Olivet Discourse, the Lord Jesus says that in the last days, and we live in this great and dreadful day of the Lord right now, he said, in that day, ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. What have we seen in the last century? The greatest wars the world has ever seen. The Great War, and then World War II. The war in Vietnam and Korea. The wars in our times, Ukraine and Russia, and all the rumors of wars that we hear throughout the news. The rumors of nuclear war, the rumors of biological war, the rumors of cyber war, and all different kinds of war are all around us. Jesus goes on, There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Have we seen those things as well? Have we seen famines in the world? Have we seen pestilences? As we said, the greatest pandemic the world has ever seen in some ways, if not by death count, then in other respects, has just stricken the world. That's a pestilence. That's a sign of worse things to come. Earthquakes are constantly happening all around us. But listen to what Jesus says about these calamities, which we think to be so great. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Only the beginning of sorrows. In Revelation chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven gave a vision to his servant John on the island of Patmos, which is now recorded in Scripture. The vision in Revelation 9 is obviously connected to the book of Joel, the plague of locusts. This is what Jesus gave John to see. That in the period of the seven trumpets, and if you remember the book of Revelation, there are seven seals, and then seven trumpets, and then seven vials. And these indicate a gradually increasing intensity of calamities. In the middle section on the seven trumpets, Jesus gives John to see a vision of an angel blowing a trumpet. And then an angel comes down to the earth and opens up the door of the bottomless pit. And out of that pit comes a dark and gloomy smoke 
that fills the sky. Out of that smoke comes forth an army of locusts. And there we see the obvious connection to the book of Joel. An army of locusts, but very strange-looking locusts. And these locusts, we are told, has a king over them whose name is Abaddon or Apollyon. These locusts represent demons. They represent the armies of Satan, the spiritual powers of darkness. And what we learn about them is that they are given power like a scorpion, to bite, to strike, but not to kill. They're given the power to torment those men who are impenitent in their sins, who are unbelieving, who will not wake up from their spiritual slumber, who do not love the Lord, those who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They are given power to torment them for five months, torment them so grievously that men will desire to die, but they will not be able to die. This is one of the harbingers, one of the warning signs, when in the last days Christ will unleash the horde of Satan to torment the wicked and unbelieving world who will not give heed to the warnings of God's word, who insist on going on in their wickedness and sin. It's a harbinger of worse and more dreadful judgments to come. The worst and the final judgments will come when Jesus returns. And Jesus, when he comes on the clouds of heaven with all of his angels, will be met with the cries of weeping and wailing from that ungodly world. Because they were hoping that he did not exist. They were hoping he would never come. But he will come. And when he comes, the sun will literally turn black and the moon will be dark and the stars will fall from heaven. And then Christ will judge the living and the dead and give unto them their eternal reward, casting the ungodly into hell. And that is the worst of all the judgments of God. Far worse than a plague of locusts. Far worse than torment from demons is the judgment and eternal wrath of God in hell. And so Joel cries out to the world today. He cries out to the church world today. He cries out to us today and to anyone who is spiritually asleep. Wake up and turn to the Lord and rend your heart. For he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger. Who knows if he will repent and leave a blessing behind. Finally, Joel gives a prophecy of comfort and salvation. That too is what we find in chapter 2. Beginning at verse 18, Joel shifts there from these awful oracles of judgment to a prophecy of great comfort and salvation. He says, and he's speaking to the context when the Assyrian army will invade the land, destroy, burn, break down. 
Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer your cries and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field. Be glad, then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Whether Joel knew it or not, he was prophesying here of the coming of the Messiah. He was speaking of the great day of the Lord as a day of judgment, but also a day of salvation, a day of restoration. And blessing. He's speaking of the Messiah because although he doesn't mention him by name, only the Messiah could do these things. Only the Messiah could restore to them the blessings which had been lost in the Garden of Eden when we fell into sin, when we cast away those riches. Only the Messiah could remove the armies and enemies of God's people once and for all. Only the Messiah can truly satisfy us with that true heavenly bread and wine. Only the Messiah. And so when Joel goes forward to speak in verse 28 of the outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh, a prophecy that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, as Peter pointed out in Acts chapter 2. That too was the work of the Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. Joel is prophesying of Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, who did come into the world. And when he came, that was the dawning of this great day of the Lord. He was born, he lived, he suffered, he died. He rose and ascended, and he poured out the Spirit on all flesh to restore to us the riches, the blessings, the bounties, the things which were a picture in the Old Testament. The oil, the wine, the grapes and the pomegranates, the wheat and the barley, and all those bounties of the field and the orchard and the vineyard, those were all pictures of 
the spiritual bounties and blessings that Christ came to purchase for us. And now Joel's eye stretches forth to the second coming of Jesus. Joel probably did not know that the day of the Lord would not be just one day, but that it would stretch out as an age of history from the first to the last coming of the Messiah. But we, looking back on the scriptures from our point of view, we know. And so we see Joel now prophesying of the second coming of Christ in the last chapter of the book. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. God says, I'm going to come on one last great day of judgment to judge and destroy all those nations who scattered my people. And that includes the final Antichrist who is yet to come. But this judgment would be carried out by the Lord Jesus himself. He is the one who will come in judgment at the last. And when he brings judgment, then he will also bring us into our eternal inheritance. The last four verses of the book of Joel present to us a bright and beautiful future for the people of God who wake up when they hear the call to repentance, the people of God who turn to the Lord when they hear the call of the gospel, for the elect, those to whom God gives those gifts of faith and repentance. He says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Amen. Our Father and our God, how great thou art, great in power, great in righteousness, great in glory, great to reveal to thy servants the prophets long ago things yet to come, and also gracious in warning us, calling out to us to awake if we have been asleep, to turn, to repent and to return unto thee, the Lord our God. Grant, Father, that we might not merely go through the motions of our religion, but may we, from the heart, walk in faith and repentance 